welcome to episode 175 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony. And this is the podcast of Brotherly Love. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What's going on? You know, I just had one of those like brain cramp moments and I almost said we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. <laughs> Do you ever have that happen where like your brain reverts into some old like track of thinking and you're not quite sure why? All the time. And yeah. like I've already disclosed in this podcast before, so I'm, I'm already acknowledging that I've said this once before, is I have this issue a lot for whatever reason at work when it comes to like I would say like more complicated or nuanced theory. So part of what's great about my job is I get to talk about theory as it relates to finance. And I find oftentimes that I end up default using theological language because <laughs> it's just what I'm used to thinking about and talking about with, uh, casually with people. And so it's, I mean, nothing is, it's not like embarrassing, but nothing stops a very technical conversation about finance. When instead, like you say the word Nestorian when you mean it meant to say something else, or <laughs> you say the word like the theological implications of this instead of like the, you know, something else. Theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. Like theoretical. Yeah. It's, it happens all the time. So I, listen, you are in good company. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day, which um, yes, I'm is, familiar with this. Uh, he's a Christian guy. I don't know like what, what flavor of Christian he is, but he seems like a pretty good guy. And it's kind of one of those like get smarter kinds of podcast or uh, like YouTube channels. He does a lot of slow motion stuff, but he has, he did a Ted talk and he did this like experiment where he built a bicycle. Yes. I was going to talk about this. Um, that steers backwards. Like, yes. like when you turn right, it turns left and like you can't just ride it. And he actually, went through all of the trouble of learning how to ride the bicycle correctly, like how to ride the backwards bicycle. And then he went back and tried to ride a regular bicycle and he couldn't do it. And it's funny because he said that actually he was trying to ride the regular bicycle and he actually physically felt it when like his brain clicked into the old like neural pathway and he could suddenly ride the, the regular bicycle again. And there was like a physical sensation of like clicking into that groove. So that's what it reminds me of when I, I almost say uh, we're proud members of the Society of Reform Podcasters. <laughs> it's just a well-worn, wonderfully comfortable and familiar path. Yeah, it's like a good pair of jeans. I <laughs> We're going for that top 50 innovative fashion podcast now. We're <laughs> done great. with healthcare, healthcare. We've we've dominated that market. So, so before we get into the affirmations and denials, let me just say, though, how right you are and how wonderful sovereignty and is because you said that at just like the right time for me because I just happened to watch a documentary about genes and one of the things that this documentary brings forward as like a reason for why genes are so special and so iconic and so embedded in our culture is that they're like a fingerprint. Like because they're dyed, the yeah. way in which you wear them means that your genes, the way in which they fade, the exact way in which you wash them, the laundry detergent that you use, how you sit in them, all that stuff is so unique and special that it actually distinguishes your pair of genes from like any other in all of history. I feel like that's a CSI episode waiting to happen. <laughs> is CSI still a show? Is that still a thing? 
I'm, not only is it still a show, I, I think it's like in 60 different cities, right? Isn't that like how they do it now? Like CSI did, Miami, CSI they, Idaho? Yeah, they did one that was like CSI data division where it was like all like <laughs> like digital hackers and stuff. I was like, all right, we're stretching a little bit. Pretty soon it's going to be like CSI Lunar Base. Wow, that was epic right there. <laughs> They're going to be investigating crimes on the moon. And then there'll be the, there'll be the opening sequence and it'll be like, this guy was thrown outside of the airlock and then the guy would be like, well, his death was out of this world. And then I'll like crank <laughs> into the music. <laughs> it's that dude that has the sunglasses that always like yeah. pulls him down a little bit before he says that. Yeah. Yeah. And they always have the most about. amazing names. His name is Horatio Kane. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Horatio Kane is the character's <laughs> name. I have not seen, I just know enough to like make fun of and judge them superlatively. I don't know yes. anything about the actual series. Yeah. Lest anybody think that like somehow in front of us, we have an outline for this episode. And part of that was like point A, talk about CSI. This is literally, we just hit the button <laughs> and this is what happens. Yeah. I don't even know where, what are we even talking about tonight? What are we talking? Well, let's start with some affirmations. Do you want to go first? Yeah, let's do it. So I know we try to avoid the reformed weathercast, although that would actually be a pretty cool podcast idea. Yeah, um, would. But every once in a while, you just have to celebrate the weather. And, you know, it's been it hasn't been a particularly cold weather uh, winter, but uh, it's been like in the th like high 30s and like low 40s here this week, uh, today and, and probably tomorrow will be warm, too. So like it's bright out, it's sunny, it's warm, like the snow is starting to melt a little bit. You can smell plants and dirt and like it's just good it just feels good to have like the sun out and be warm now cut to like all the people who are listening right now that are in either warm climates all year round or like let's say like the left coast of the united states who have no idea what you're talking about like that just seems like normal life there's never a point in time where you can't smell the dirt yeah <laughs> yeah i, I mean it, it's just it's just nice i mean there's really no good way to explain it other than that although it is supposed to snow again later this week so possibly by the time people are listening to this wah, wah. i could be like not actually happy about the weather anymore oh yeah you're, you're gonna be so. shoveling it's not over yet this is too oh, soon to call not. it oh yeah well it's not even march there'll be at least one more like big like foot like foot uh stump uh foot snow dump this year <laughs> easy for me to say <laughs> Best part of the podcast so far. Yeah. My brain just like glitched out for a second there. No, that was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. Yeah. What about you? What are you affirming? So I'm affirming something that for you and I is kind of a blast from the past. And I was reminded of this website this week and I thought, you know what? This is something people should check out because I'm not sure of like the actual practical utility of this, although there are good reasons to use it, but it's kind of just fun. So the website I'm affirming with is archive.org. Do you remember this? Yes. Archive.org. I still use it for stuff. Do you still really? So archive.org for anybody who's not familiar is basically like this omnibus where you can kind of keep and post all of this kind of free content. But the reason why I'm affirming with it is because it has this fun feature where if you go to archive.org and type in the search, you can type in a website and what archive.org does is using what they call like the Wayback machine. It basically captures previous versions of the website. So you can kind of do this wonderful thing where you can trace all the iterations and the various versions of a website that you, you've used or loved through time and go back and reminisce at how simplistic and simple it looked at one point in time. So it's really kind of just like a really fun thing, but you can post 
and still store like all kinds of media content on there. It's kind of this yeah. nice public domain. Yeah, it is a really cool service. It has um, a lot of different stuff that you can uh, look at. A lot of public domain stuff is on there. Uh, the the online seminary program that I'm using stores a lot of like the free public domain theology works that um, we use for class. They, they host it there so we don't have to pay for it. Um, so like you can get all of Charles Hodge's systematic theology, for example, is available on, on wayback.org. It's also really useful or on the wayback machine is really useful. If you're trying to research like, uh, like a position or something that somebody said, but they've changed right. their website, you can actually go back and look. So like I'm looking at the original or like the oldest archive version of our website, which looks pretty much the same. I mean, it's a little bit different, but it, it looks basically the same. But you can sometimes you can like catch someone in the act of changing, like pretending they never said something, but you can pull up like an old version of their website. So that can be helpful sometimes. It's kind of like a website time capsule, isn't it? Which is yeah. really fun just to like pull it out of the ground and see what something looked like. Even if you want to go to like a major website, it's really cool to see what it looked like like a decade ago. And you can do yeah. all of that on archive.org. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great service and it's free. So it's great too. like um, a little known feature of the website. If you have an account and you upload a file, it will automatically convert that file into like every other similar kind of file. So if I upload a wave file, it'll automatically convert it to an MP3. Or if I upload a word document, it'll automatically convert it to a PDF and make both of those available. Because the purpose of the website is to make these files available, not only to like archive them, but to make them available to like widespread audiences. So they right. convert them. So if you have a file that you can't use and you're trying to find a way to convert it, oftentimes you can just upload it to archive.org and it'll automatically convert it for you. It's pretty sweet. It's This is like a rabbit hole you can spend like an hour on easily. So that's why I'm encouraging everybody to stop what they're doing and procrastinate a bit and go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with that. So you got a denial? I do. So in our little 30 second pre-show conference, I asked you if you would be okay trusting me to have a shared denial today. And the only reason I know that this will be an appropriate shared denial is because we have in the past done an entire episode about this denial. So, okay. I'm so we, have curious. The, we have the rare, uh, probably not once in a lifetime, once in like every eight years opportunity for our show to actually be published on what I like to call scorched earth Wednesday. <laughs> so in reality, uh, most evangelicals know the, uh, the first, Wednesday of Lent. There's some like arcane formula to figure out exactly when that is, uh, but they know it as Ash Wednesday. And so right. I am denying against Ash Wednesday. Yes. And so here's the deal. Okay. A reasonable argument can be made to celebrate even annually the, uh, the, mighty acts of God in redemptive history, right? Of course. So celebrating the birth of Christ, celebrating uh, events surrounding the passion, celebrating, you know, even, even things like some sort of uh, annual commemoration of God's redeeming people out of Egypt or something like that. As long as you're not making it a mandatory holy day or uh, investing some sort of special theological significance in it, I think you can make a good argument for that. What you can't, however, make a good argument for is inventing a day entirely out 
out of whole cloth that is not tied to any sort of redemp- uh, event in redemptive history, and then right. creating some sort of pseudo sacrament where you put a symbol of contrition on your head and display it for all the world to see. So whether you're a, you know, quote unquote, truly reformed person who is an exclusive psalmody, uh, you know, no holy days, no celebration of anything except the Lord's Day person, or whether you're kind of the more average reform person who recognizes that there may be some problems with the way Christmas is executed in our modern context, uh, but overall are still okay with that kind of thing. Ash Wednesday is just a no fly zone, no matter how you dice it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I would like to encourage people to like go around on that day. And if they see somebody that has the cross in their head, maybe just lick their thumb and be like, Oh, I'm sorry. You got a little something here. Let me get that off for you. Yeah. I mean, that's assault. So don't do that. But, uh, you could verbally (laughs) assault them, I guess. Don't do that either. What I would like Uh, to do is stand outside of like a Lutheran church and just like, just like hurl, uh, just like quote the second commandment at people all day long as they walk out. I like the sound of that too. Maybe like throw it on a sandwich board. It would do a full immersive experience. And I want to just affirm your denial and say, yes, my denial was very much, I entrusted it to you. I vouchsafe the responsibility (laughs) and I feel totally, totally at ease with what you just said. And so the only thing I want to add is if somebody would actually like to go back and listen to us speak for an hour on that topic, or really get into it in a pretty deep and profound way, I think. Some might actually, I think actually many have written on the internet that this was the definitive episode on Ash Wednesday. (laughs) It's episode number 76, all the way back in 76 land. You can find a whole episode where we spoke about Ash Wednesday. Wow. That was like almost a hundred episodes ago. It was, isn't that incredible? Almost a hundred. That, that makes your denial like all the more sweet, like just perfect timing, man, Providence. How about it? I know. So what I would like everyone who's listening to this to do is go find episode 76. And then every time on the Internet that you see someone today posting about <laughs> Ash Wednesday, just drop that link right in there. Uh, I will also be putting up lots of anti Ash Wednesday memes on our account. Uh, and also I will try to recreate the original Scorched Earth Wednesday meme, which is the uh, somewhat uh, infamous uh, Nadab and Abihu first yes. Ash Wednesday meme. Uh, I think that was my first foray into like the world of like professional memeing. Uh, so I feel like it was a pretty significant one though. I see that every once in a while, I'll see that meme pop up somewhere else that I haven't, I haven't placed it. And that's how, you know, you've really made it as a meme creator when you start seeing them out in the wild in places that you didn't put them. Listen, your meme game is strong. Nobody's going to doubt that. I think that actually may have been the first meme from you that I like actually laughed out loud at that (laughs) image. Cause it's like the traditional imagery, you know, it's, it's so close to like, Oh man, what's that stuff called with like the felt and yeah. the characters? It's, it's so close to like, yeah, it's so close to that, that it, it just resonated with me as like a person who grew up in a certain era where you're seeing that kind of illustration. And then for you to pair it together, it, it, it really was a beautiful thing coming together. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. So it's, I love that we've basically taken this and turned this quote unquote, like religious experience or holiday into something that's like our own expression of it, which is everything that is against it. Yeah, so I might have gone a little bit overboard this year, but Never. in in our um, queue, which posts twice a day, sorry, three times a day to our account, uh, I have memes that will last until March 3rd. 
<laughs> so, oh <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. I, I feel pretty good about uh, this year's meme lineup. There's a little, there's a Spice Girls meme in there. What? Uh, there's some good, like, <laughs> like uh, uh, Marvel movies memes. Uh, there's some Star Wars memes. There's some SpongeBob. I feel pretty good about this year's offering. So, I that's the other thing that maybe this is what distinguishes the professionals from the amateurs. You do have a breadth and a a depth that is is pretty exceptional. I will say that. Like I I never know and and I, like it, it like you said I know that we have a lineup you've done a really good job at crafting and curating if you will like a <laughs> like a detailed artist these memes. And even when I'm looking at our feed, I never know what's going to pop up next. Like I <laughs> there would be no way if you were like guess, just guess. There's no way it's going to happen. I put a meme up the other day that was uh was basically like pro Baptist. And it really, like, people were really confused. <laughs> I did they, see that. I was I like, no, it. no, no. I'm an equal opportunity memer. I have to represent uh, my Baptist brother-in-law on this account because it is a shared that. endeavor here. So it happens that. once in a while. Again, that's what separates you as a professional from the amateurs that are out there just slapping memes together willy-nilly. <laughs> I, I do slap them together willy-nilly. <laughs> Usually it's like uh, like I'm waiting for like my coffee to get done at work and I throw together a meme, but it's good stuff. I have a good time with it. Well, this has been episode 175 of the Meme Cast. <laughs> They've been that, wildly successful. That would be a what? boring episode, a boring podcast. The Meme Cast, you just like visual, like verbally describe, describe memes memes. all day long. Yeah, <laughs> it's like totally abusing the medium of the podcast. <laughs> Although yeah. some might argue that's what we've been doing all along. So it's true. in that vein, by way of some modicum of transition, we're still, well, actually, I want to say knee deep. We are still on the Micah hustle, but we're actually nearing the end of this whole series, which to me is a little bit sad when I looked at the text in front of us and realized that we only have yet a couple more episodes to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the penultimate um, Micah cast. It might be. By the way, excellent use of penultimate. I do try. That this word does is, not get used enough and not yeah. enough properly. It's also the uh, vocab cast, apparently. Yes. So we have had people say that, for instance, we like to throw around the word pericope for many reasons. One, because that's what it's called. And two, because it's just super fun. And so I love that somebody had noted, I think, in the Facebook group that they finally, we probably just wore them down and they finally looked up that word and they're like, man, I got to relate to these nerds and <laughs> found out what it means. So hopefully maybe somebody else is grabbing the Oxford English Dictionary right now to look up penultimate. Yeah. So we're getting into our uh, last couple episodes here of Micah Cast, And today we're going to talk about Micah chapter seven, and we're really just going to go through verse seven. So we probably could have gone a little bit further and broken this last chapter up a little bit more. But uh, do you have that in front of you? Do you want to go and just read it? Yeah, I do. So here's Micah chapter seven, verses one through seven. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well, the prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is a thorn hedge. 
The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Wow. So th- this is, um, you know, as we've said, you know, once you get into Micah 6, you're kind of winding down and we enter sort of the, this last sort of judgment cycle or judgment oracle cycle. And so Micah here starts off, basically he's using this agricultural or horticultural um, metaphor to talk about what it's like when God sort of looks upon the earth and what he anticipated, right? We're using anthropomorphic language, but what he anticipated was a harvest of righteousness, right? Right. So this is, Micah is sort of looking forward to, to the end of Israel, to sort of this uh, mid midpoint in history judgment. And what should have happened, what, what God had intended, what, uh, what should have come about was that Israel should have recognized the righteousness of the Lord. They should have lived according to the righteous precepts of God's law. And thus she should have reaped this harvest of righteousness, of, of good righteous fruit, which the Lord would then use to sort of spread salvation to the rest of the world, right? That's what should have happened in the garden with Adam. He should have reaped righteousness and spread that to all of his posterity, descending from him by ordinary generation. When that failed, uh, God elected Israel for the same task and the same result happened. And so when he says, as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, he's basically saying, this is sort of a strange way to talk about it, but all the commentators that I read are, are pretty much unanimous on this. He's basically saying it's it's like when you go into the fruit, uh, the fruit fields in the middle of summer and there's nothing there, right? right? Because there's in Israel, there was, there was basically two harvests. There was sort of a late spring harvest and then there was a sort of a mid fall harvest. And so in the summer, in the middle of the summer, the, the fruit from the spring harvest has already been taken. So there's none of that. And the fruit from the fall harvest is not yet, not yet uh, fruited yet. There's no growth yet to sustain that. And so what he's saying is that it's like God came to the field and instead of uh, the harvest that he anticipated, he found these barren trees and these barren vines, which had already been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat. There's no ripe fig that God or, or the prophet Micah kind of speaking as God here that his soul desires. And so he clarifies exactly what he's talking about in verse two. And he says, the godly have perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. So there's a little bit of prophetic exaggeration. And there's a point on that that I want to make, but, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. There's a little bit of, of what I call kind of prophetic exaggeration, where the prophet is talking in absolute terms to sort of indicate to the severity or the extent of what he's saying, even right. though literally speaking, it's not true that there was no one upright among mankind. Like right. the prophet Micah was upright among mankind. The prophet Isaiah, who is a contemporary, was upright among mankind. So it's, it's not the case that there is not really anyone righteous because there are some people who've been saved by faith in Christ, you know, namely in this passage, Micah himself. Um, but he's using this sort of exaggerated language to drive home the point that the pervasiveness of sin has kind of reached its culmination and now is all expansive in Israel. Yes. 
I think that's exactly the right way to look at this because the woe, this personal trauma that Micah is experiencing and projecting is really one of absence. It's a loss, but it's almost as if, as if it's a loss of expressing latent potential. And I don't mean to belittle the example that I'm about to use here, but this is the only thing that pops in my mind is like a, a near comparison. That would be in the same way that we might mourn the unborn through abortion. It's almost as if Micah here is mourning the fact that there was no fruit that should have been on the vine. Right. And so he's saying there's no righteous persons that are going to be found among the people of Israel. And he's decrying the resulting national confusion that is both the result and the punishment of their sin. And so there's this striking statement about like the state of the family in the beginning and its breakdown as a result of the sinful actions of the people. And all of this is coming about because the fruit is just not there. Right. It's almost like that song, like where have, I think there is a song by this title, like where have all the cowboys gone? Like where have all the godly gone? Where are they? It's a question both, I think that's meant to be rhetorical, but also that's meant to emphasize that there was supposed to be in God's own people, the expression and the manifestation of men and women who were duly committed to God. And yet even in God's own people, they do not exist because they have been rebellious. And so we have both the, the manifestation of the punishment and also the result of falling away from God. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing, it's a little bit of a diversion or a side trip that I want to take, but one of the things that I know you and I have talked about both off air and on air for what we're trying to accomplish with the show is we're trying to, well, we're trying to develop it ourselves, but we're hopeful that as we do this kind of publicly, that people will sort of follow along. And we're trying to develop what I call kind of like this theological spider sense. You might call it like a, a theological like BS detector. And one of the things that is necessary in order to develop that is a really broad reading of scripture and a really uh, extensive understanding and comprehensive reading of scripture, which is why it's important to read big sections of the text. And right where this ties in with me is I mentioned kind of obliquely on another episode, and then I, I mentioned it explicitly on the episode of uh, Latest Form of Flogging that I was on. I've been kind of reevaluating Doug Wilson's theology. And as part of that process, I've been reading a lot of the original Federal Vision sources. And I'm not at a point where I'm ready to say what my conclusions about Doug Wilson and his theology in relation to that are. But one of the things that has been reinforced in my mind is that the federal vision theology is actually so much worse than what I even thought it was. And so one of their main um, errors is that they interpret passages in the New Testament that, you know, the apostle Paul speaks to the Ephesians, right? He's speaking to a mixed body, but he calls them all the elect. He uses that language universally for his audience, even though he knows that likely among those are people who will not ultimately be saved. And so uh, so they take that to mean you become elect when you join the church and you may become unelect when you leave the church, because otherwise Paul couldn't use that language of elect. Where this ties in here is, and this is this is just an example of what I'm trying to sort of get to, is when I read this, the first thing that was on my mind was this sort of prophetic exaggeration and how what's happening here is actually the, the exact opposite of what we see in the New Testament, which probably right. has some theological implications. But sure. the flip side of it here is that if the way that the Federal Vision folks interpret those passages is true, then what we have to say is these people, the, the righteous, the remnant in Israel, 
they become damned by being part of Israel. But the problem is that there's no way for them not to become part of Israel, not to be right. part of Israel, apart from apostasy itself. So their whole hermeneutic that they apply to the New Testament cannot be applied to the Old Testament, which demonstrates that it's a faulty hermeneutic. So, you know, we've we've remarked in a couple different spots as we've studied Micah that it's amazing how many different theological concepts are in, sort of embedded into Micah and how understanding the prophets is sometimes difficult. But when you really take the time to dig in, you get all this fruitful ground of, of theological concepts and theological imagery that you can sort of pull from. And it starts to create this grid that you can sort of plug theological concepts into and say, all right, well, this doesn't fit. Federal Vision's perspective on what the election language in the New Testament doesn't fit because it it can't apply to the reprobation language in the Old Testament. So mm -hmm. that was just sort of a little like side path that I wanted to to jump down. But I think it's it's important to sort of think about these kinds of alternate uh, alternate pathways to refute things like that, which involves again sort of understanding the scripture on this broad like overarching uh, level. I think that's a great diversion, actually. I'll get off on that path any day of the week because what that helps us to understand is that there is just this, there's a, a continuity to the Bible, but it's also contiguous. So when we get into these passages that are speaking where the prophet is actually helping us to understand something about the promises of God as it's actually demonstrated in his people, that first, these aren't just purely theological and intellectual concepts, but that secondly, this is actually occurring to a particular people in a particular time and place. And so it's easy for us sometimes to just sit back and, and say, I love to think about these things. Like they're so yeah. beautiful to, to conceptualize and to really kind of set out somewhere in my mind. But for the people of Israel, the, I mean, these are like real conversations. Like Mike is actually speaking to them and there is like a, a real ability for him to address a particular need at that point in time, but that they're actually receiving actual punishment right now. It's not just an idea. It's not just something like psychologically that's stimulating or intellectually that's interesting, but this idea like you went to there with this comparison of like the search for the summer fruits, I've actually been really meditating on that because it's like, it's fascinating in the sense that I can't find a really good example. I've, I've come up with a couple of my minds. Like if you're going to like search for I don't know, like a real Christmas tree and a lot, like end of December, you're not, it's going to be so picked over that yeah. you're not going to find anything that's like actually beautiful. It's just going to be all Charlie Brown trees. Or if you live maybe in the Northeast or anywhere where there's a significant amount of snow and the news reports there's about to be a big storm and you go to grab water or bread and there's <laughs> nothing left in the aisles, everything has just been picked over and there's nothing good that you'd want to want. It's, just, it's a vast wasteland. And it's a yeah. waste for you to go out there and see it. Like, and, and I think even some would speculate that Micah's comments here about this whole summer fruits thing, this idea that the fruit is gone, like what a ridiculous thing to go and look for it, as you said, after the harvest has actually taken place. But some would say even beyond that, that Micah's comments are maybe referring to the fact that not only are the good people few, but those that are actually the few that remained who could be counted on as good were basically good for little. They were like right. withered fruit. And so it's this amazing irony that here, once again, are the people of God who are supposed to represent everything that is good in God himself, following along in his example, being the ones who have the strongest fidelity to the precepts in the heart of who he is. And there is nothing but barrenness. I mean, that's, it's not only just embarrassing, it's, it, I mean, I can see the more I think about this, why he mourns over it, why this is a cause of sorrow and distress and trouble for him. 
because it's, it's so deeply against and contrary to what God established that it should cause us to be deeply saddened. And I think yeah. that even though we know, as you said, that Micah is addressing a particular people in a particular time, it still should give us pause to bring the scripture as a mirror up to our own environment, our own churches and our own lives in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, um, you know, when you, when you are in a rural area, it's okay. not uncommon to <laughs> come across like an old barn or like an old field that it's clear that at one point it was being cultivated or maybe there was a building, you know, there might be some like farm equipment yeah. that's left over. Yeah, sure. But but it hasn't been tended to in quite right. some time. And what's what's interesting, and, and I'll I'll bring it back to the text here, I promise, is it's not like uh it's not like nice fruit bushes that grow up over the barn or like that like take back over the field. It's not as though whatever was planted there at one point just continues to grow on its own. And that's where this comes to in this next part of the text is that field that is left untended, that there's no fruit left in it. There's it's no longer being cultivated. What's left are weeds and and thorns and thistles and briar patches. Right. And so it's not even just that God or the prophet, whoever, whoever's in view here, you know, got re, Micah representing the prophet or the, the representing God. It's not even as though he goes to a field that has been harvested recently, but is still basically being maintained. This field is not only over harvested, but it hasn't been tended in so long that what's left now the best of them in verse four is like a briar. The most upright right. of them are a thorn hedge. So this field, which was once cultivated, and again, this goes back to imagery we saw earlier in uh, in the book, right? The high places where the people worshipped, they've become sort of this like forested wild wild place where it used to be a cultivated field. It's becoming that. It's becoming this wild place where there's nothing left but thorns and briars. And so it says here, the day of your watchment of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. So so all of the people that once kept the nation safe, all of the people who were in charge of sort of shepherding the place, they, they've kind of like abandoned their responsibilities. And so their confusion is at hand. So what's right. left is this situation where there, you know, there's, you can't trust your neighbors. You can't trust your friends. Uh, people become sort of hunters of each other, right? In verse two, they all lie and wait for blood. They each hunt the other with a net. A lot of commentators will point out that the word that gets translated by the ESV here as the other is actually brother. So it's not just like right. some other random person. It's like your, your close family, your kin, the people who live in your, in your neighborhood that you share life with, you can't even trust them anymore. So there's this disruption in the, the, the religious and civil life of Israel that sort of trickles down into this disruption in the family life of Israel. And to be honest with you, like how much is that like the United States right now? Like, I don't want to be political, but like that's what we see all around us. Um, There was actually an article that was just released. I didn't catch which uh, which publication it was in, but it was some some sort of radical feminist. And they're actually going so far as to say now the next step in creating a society where men and women are truly equal is to abolish the idea of family, because in a family even now, you know, as, as quote unquote progressive as people have become, even now in husband wife couples, as hard as people try, somebody takes traditional roles that are feminine roles and some take traditional masculine roles. And in some families, 
the the man takes the mass quote-unquote masculine role and the woman takes the, the feminine and sometimes that's reversed but they're, they're saying now the next step in sort of this progressive agenda is to not just eliminate gender roles in the family but to eliminate the concept of family altogether so we really are living in a world right now where the judgment of god is coming on on the really the whole western society um and and it's creating this situation where like all of a sudden now families are being torn apart sons treat fathers with contempt daughters treat mothers with contempt you know right. daughter-in-law and mother-in-law which is a different kind of relationship in the ancient near east which is why it's called out specifically those those relationships in the society of israel are already starting to break down and this is where you're right on because we see how important the common grace of God is. So this idea that well, by merely removing the influence of God, it creates a situation in which there's just some kind of stagnant level of moral decay. It's actually the exact opposite because God himself is such a constraining force in his goodness, even if that's expressed just in common grace, that when it is removed, it's a decay that happens at exponential speed. So yeah. what a sad state of affairs is expressed in identifying the best of them, as you said, as these thorny briars. Because briars, they scratch and they tear on contact. So here's this beautiful metaphor again where it's not just, well, isn't it awful that God has left? But in the leaving, in the removal, so to speak, in separating ourselves from him, it results in not just, again, this kind of place of decay that is stagnant and stable, but it's a place that brings exponential destruction. And so like in the final analysis... Micah declares that, like as you've already said, you can't have any faith in man. The lack of faith and holy dread in God precipitated a universal treachery among the people so that the confidence could not be established in any person, especially those who are vouchsafed with the authority to act with equality and beneficence. And so even those who appear good, apparently, in God's own society are willing to mislead God's own people if they can acquire anything by doing so. So it's really this amazing lamentable state when a man's betrayers and his worst enemies are those in his own house, his own children and servant, those who should be his best friends and protectors seek his violation and his ruin. How far away have we drifted then from God when that yeah. is what has become normative? So it's, it's a destruction here. I think we often think about destruction as the absence of something that is good. But when that good is removed, it results in a sliding scale of decay that is very, very precipitous. And Micah here is, I, give, I, think, giving, I think the reason why we have this in its written form in this particular context is to provide the kind of warning that you're speaking of, that it's ironic to me that how in the sense that human beings are so sinful, so misguided, so self-serving that in their own effort to bring about what they think is greater equality, they are literally cutting the branch on which they stand. Like yeah. I can't get over how ironic and lamentable that is. And in some ways I think that's overlapping with the, this, that, that idea is overlapping with what Mike is dealing with here. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes I think, um, Christians in the Western world, and I think particularly in America, because we're a little bit behind sort of the decay of society that we see in some of the European countries, we sort of end up with this doom and gloom perspective. And and that's warranted on a certain level, because we really are living in kind of a, I don't want to say unprecedented, but at least in terms of, of modern Western society, we're living in an unprecedented state. Um, 
but nevertheless, right? This is where the prophet ends this little pericope here. Yes. As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So even though all of the stuff that he just said is true, there's, there's no fruit. The best, uh, the most upright and righteous of the people that are left are just thorns and thistles. That, you know, it's it's come to a place where you no longer can trust your neighbor. You no longer can trust your friend. You have to guard. Here it talks about guarding the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. So that's probably, the prophet is probably not talking about some sort of sordid sexual interaction. He's probably talking about wife, right? That's the relationship right. that's missing. Son, father, daughter, mother, the, the one who lays in your arms is probably talking about your wife. So you can't trust your friends. You can't trust your neighbor. You can't trust your wife. You can't trust your kids. You can't trust those who are appointed to guard over you. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And this is essentially, right? If you go all the way back to Joshua, right? This is the refrain of God's people is as for me in my house, I will trust the Lord. So Joshua stands on, on sort of the, the, um, the border of the promised land. And he says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods of your fathers, the gods beyond the river, or are you going to serve the Lord? And the people at that time say, well, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua, I like to think he kind of chuckled and was like, no, you're not like, you're not like you can't, but, but the history of Israel all the way from Joshua, all the way back to Moses, all the way through now to Micah is this repeated question of choose this day whom you will serve. And in this case, again, the people have chosen to serve their own selfishness, their own greed. They've, they've worshiped, literally worshiped other gods, but the prophet here as, as now a representative of God's remnant elect people, he's proclaiming the salvation of the Lord by saying, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation and my God will hear me. Like that's, that's where we stand now as Christians sort of living in exile in our own, our own world, our own nation is we stand here in this situation where honestly, like people are getting fired every day for expressing things that 50 years ago would have been totally uncontroversial, not just about sex, human sexuality or transgenderism, but just religious, religious faith in general, people get fired for expressing their, their religious convictions that literally everyone 60 years ago would have agreed with on a very basic level. So what we have to look at now is we don't, we can't trust in Christendom, right? Whatever that means, whatever that was, we can't trust in uh, sort of like the general civic religion of Christianity, which was sort of just around everywhere when I was growing up, it, everybody was a Christian. I remember, I don't know, I was thinking about this the other day, but I remember Real distinctly, I can even picture like where we were standing on the playground. And I asked another kid on the playground, well, what religion are you? And he said, Baptist. And I was a Lutheran, <laughs> right? So like, so like, you know, but I, I just turned 37 a couple days ago. And that was maybe, I don't know, let's say 30 years ago. Let's say I was seven or seven or eight years old. 30 years ago, it would have been unheard of in my little town, my little suburb in Minnesota for someone to be asked that question and for them to say anything other than some sort of Christian denomination. I thought the, the girl who said she was a Presbyterian, I thought she was really crazy strange because I didn't know what that word meant. Right. But it would have been unheard of for someone to say like, well, I'm, I'm a Muslim or I'm Jewish or I'm an atheist. That would have been even more unheard of than someone who right. was Jewish or, or Muslim. So we live in a very different world where like religious life is different. Civic life is different. Political life is different. Family life is different. 
but we still have the same God who is sovereign over the people, his remnant in Israel. He's sovereign over the church. He's sovereign over his remnant that he's now retaining, even in our day. Let me first give you kudos on an amazing transition and segue there. <laughs> that was beautiful. And I'm saying that because I think the segue that you presented is exactly the biblical pattern that Micah lets out here. And that is this idea. He's basically said like all these things. He's brought the full weight to bear of God's judgment and basically saying, this is as bad maybe as it's ever been yet. There is hope in God. Right. And I think that's the important linchpin. That's the inflection point that we need to understand the hinge on which we need to turn because the prophet he's lamented and mourned this wickedness of the times in which he's lived. And, but he's refocuses at the end of this pericope on some considerations for comfort for himself and for his loved ones. In other words, the case is bad, as you've just said, but it's not desperate. And there's a big right. difference there. I actually really like what Matthew Henry says. He has this kind of just offhanded comments on the verse that you're speaking about. He writes this, no, it is our sin against God that provokes his indignation against us. And we must see it and own it whenever we are under divine rebukes, that we may justify God and may study to answer his end in afflicting us by repenting of sin and breaking off from it. So this idea in the sense that what Micah is saying to us is there, where there is sin, where there's a turning away from God, you ought to recognize how serious that offense is. It's not about the size of the sin itself, but about the one who finds offense in it. And then beyond that, to your point, This, in many ways, understanding how bad things are, gives us a recourse to God under our troubles. And what I mean is, I think one of the amazing things that we draw out of this verse as it comes to us in the embedded portion of the passage is that even in woeful times, there is comfort that we have a God to look to, a God to come to, a God to flee to. And as Micah has no comfort or confidence in the people around him, he is driven to God as the satisfier. And I think even in our own, the North American, the U.S. political climate right now, we get the sense where it's, oh, it just seems all so desperate. But it's ex- that exact kind of desperation that should make us happy that we go and run and dive into the arms of the one who is Savior and Satisfier. Because it, it helps us to realize the juxtaposition of the world in which we live, such that we're actually propelled back into the scriptures where our surety is really found. Yeah. Because we've been lulled for a long time into thinking that our culture is so accepting that this is the place where we belong. And I think that when we are pushed in a direction that makes us realize that it's not, that it actually is for our greatest good and for God's glory. So the less reason we have the delight in all of our earthly relations the more reason we have to delight in God. And I think it's exactly that reason why you find across this world where the gospel is persecuted, there is a greater delight in God for that very reason because it become what is plain in the scriptures by way of truth becomes plain in our lives by way of actual reality. And maybe we've just been spoiled for so long where we fail to realize that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good place for us to wrap it up tonight. I mean, this has been such an amazing journey through the book of Micah for me. I, I just, the prophets have always been, I've said this several times, the prophets, you know, like Isaiah, okay, yeah, like you read the Messianic stuff, okay, that makes sense. Or like Jeremiah, like, oh yeah, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, like it makes sense on a certain level. 
but it's always felt sort of detached. Like I was reading somebody else's mail and on a certain level, like, yes, that's true on a certain, in a certain sense, but it's been really great going through the book of Micah to see how much the prophets, at least this prophet, I, I suppose I should be specific, how much Micah is really the eternal contemporary because everything that he's saying in this this book, it, it applies to our day in its own sense, in its own way, because just as the church in Micah's day in the people of Israel was sort of a church under siege, so also the church throughout her history has been in various ways a church under siege. And right. and that really is where we're at. So I'm, I'm excited to finish this up. I'm excited to see kind of where we go next. Um, so if you have benefited from this Micah series, please, the best thing you can do is to share it with a friend. So go back. Uh, you can go to the website. You can find the the category Micah cast, which will link to all of the different Micah cast episodes. Share it with a friend. You know, take a look at it. Listen through it again. Uh, give us some feedback. What do you want us to do next? What's the next series? What's the next topic you want us to cover? Um, we want this this podcast to be beneficial to the people who listen to it. And the best way for us to know what you need and what you want is for you to tell us. And one of the ways in which this whole series might be useful to some is that if you've ever been a part of a group, either formally or informally, that way you might say like a small group or spiritual formation group, a a group of people getting together on some regular basis to do orthopraxy, living out orthodoxy together. I'm, I, it struck me this week as we've, I was been thinking about this series that maybe this might be some use in those situations. And what I mean is get a group of people together and either maybe listen to it together and then you can make awkward eye, con- on eye contact with one another as we speak in like the first like 20 minutes of each episode. But <laughs> this idea of looking at the scriptures together and having maybe a launching point. And if, if that's all that we're providing is to bring some good conversation forward about what the scriptures are telling us, both about what it means, its original context and then how we might apply it today. I think that's like immensely valuable. So I, I like to think that maybe somebody out there is perhaps using this as a springboard for getting others together, brothers and sisters who love one another, who really want to understand what it means to follow closely after the Lord Jesus Christ and to use this as a resource. So yeah. I would, I affirm and want to kind of compound what you just said there is there's a tendency if you're like me to enjoy a podcast and to enjoy your thoughts in your own mind only. But I guess I'm saying is be a little bit brave and maybe push out, do this with somebody else, talk about this thing. And because we've been going through the book in these little pericopes, it's a great way to kind of get a bite size portion of the scripture. And then to have that set aside for you to evaluate, to think upon, to pray over, to meditate on, and then to really process together. And this in particular seems so timely to me because we really need to depend upon God to work deliverance for us and wait for him to redeem our troubles. Yeah. And I think every generation feels like it's as bad as it's ever been. And this is the most trouble we can possibly conceive of. And if we give an intellectual assent to the idea of God as savior, then our lives will be marked not only by looking to God, but also looking for God. And I found that I need to look for God. I need to know that he is alive and well and working and that every day, the manner in which I behave, the way in which I speak to people, the manner in which I complete my work reflects that reality. And that must be done in community. And so I hope that maybe somebody will get together over these silly little podcasts. And, you know, during that first initial time where we're talking about affirmation denial, they can just like look and make fun of us, laugh to each other. (laughs) And then maybe after that, there'll be something in it in which they can ponder 
and say, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's get after it. I completely disagree with what Jesse said there, or Tony is the smartest person I've ever heard speak about Micah (laughs) and we should, you know, consider what he has to say. Um, but let me, let me, I want to wrap it up with this. If this is okay, I want to quote another piece of scripture and it's because I've been so moved by what God has written through the pen of Micah and especially in the context of a global climate, which seems to be increasingly combative. And if you live in the United States, especially in a year where we're approaching an election, which seems to be particularly vitriolic, where everybody wants to argue against everybody else. Everybody wants to have a label and then to use that label to either slander or divide. I think of this verse from Job 14, seven through nine, for there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. And really that's been my prayer for the church, for myself, for you, for this podcast, that even when we feel like all hope is lost, we know that it's actually not that desperate because God delights in the darkest of situations to bring in his light. It's in fact what makes him look so much more glorious that when everything seems like it's falling apart, we need the one person, the one who is able to course correct, to bring the pieces together, to heal and to rejuvenate and to revitalize. And our God is the only one who can do that. And so I was really moved in our conversation and in looking at this pericope to be reminded that man, isn't it good to have Yahweh as our God? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? No, it does not. It doesn't. This well, is usually Jesse, the time in the podcast where I say something about running through a wall, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know people want me to say it. I'm yeah, not going to do it. You kind of just said it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. That's like when you say like, I'm not even going to comment on this post, but this is just so dumb. <laughs> but here's the thing. That's I'm not like, even going to dignify I, that with a response. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like, and I know I'm I'm literally doing the thing I'm going to complain about right now. But that's like kind of our style is like it you is. and I always like we're nobody's ever said like Tony and Jesse are people of incredible brevity. That's very rarely <laughs> been said of us. I so don't think that, anyone's ever said that of me. No, not nor of me either. Like that's that's kind of our style. Actually, like people I work with, like my written form stuff, have actually said to me like in a moment of like pure candor, like, "Well, you actually." are not want for words. And I'm like, really? Like, is it that bad? That, <laughs> it was like, they said that it's like a statement of fact. Like, well, we know like it's going to be really long winded with you. So I'm like, okay, fine. I accept that. I receive it. And I'm not going to change. Yeah. Why say something in two words <laughs> when you can say it in 10 words? <laughs> the Puritans are on my side. Exactly. Well, Jesse, thanks again for, uh, for talking through Micah with me. No, Until next you. time. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. <laughs>